Today, I have the pleasure of interviewing Dr. William Mann, Consultant Respiratory Physician at Royal Brompton and Harefield NHS Foundation Trust, London, UK, who is going to talk to us about simple lower limb performance measures and their utility in our patients with COPD. I am Dr. Rachel Evans, also a Consultant Respiratory Physician, but at Glenfield Hospital, Leicester, UK. Simple lower limb physical performance measures in COPD. So to set the scene, can you describe what these measures are for our listeners? Thank you, Rachel, for uh, inviting me to this uh, podcast and uh, always a pleasure to spend time chatting to you. Um, I would say there are four main groups of uh, simple lower limb physical performance measures. Um, there are gait speed tests. In other words, um, measuring time to walk a set distance, uh, typically four meters. Uh, there are sit-to-stand tests, which are um, uh, divided into tests that either time uh, the, the the time taken to stand from a sitting position uh, a set number of times, uh, typically uh, five times, which is known as the five repetition sit-to-stand test or they are tests that measure the number of sit-to-stands uh, in a set time, uh, typically one minute, 30 seconds, or two minutes. Uh, another group of uh, low limb physical performance measures are step tests. Um, there are a variety of different protocols, but the best described is the six-minute step test, where people are asked to step up and down as many times as possible in six minutes, um, so a, a step equivalent to the six-minute walk test. And finally, there is the timed up and go, which sort of incorporates elements of both gait speed tests and sit-to-stand tests. Uh, in this particular measure, uh, patients are asked to stand up from a chair, walk three meters, turn around, walk back to the chair, and sit down again. Um, so there are a variety of protocols that exist for all of these uh, tests. Um, our particular research group has most experience in doing the four meter gait speed and the five repetition sit to stand. And so we've used these tests and published results in uh, several cohorts of uh, patients with COPD. That's a great overview, Will, thank you. So I understand that these measures are widely used in older people. Um, so can you outline why they might have a role in people with COPD? Uh, of course, that's, that, that's a, a very good question. Um, uh, as you know, in COPD, FEV1 is the most widely used marker. Um, however, there are some limitations with FEV1. Um, it tells us very little of the extra pulmonary manifestations that are increasingly recognized as important and prognostic in COPD, such as skeletal muscle weakness and sarcopenia. FEV1 is only a weak relationship with uh, health-related quality of life and exercise capacity outcomes that are very meaningful to patients. Uh, a very good example is that we know that pulmonary rehabilitation is highly effective and gives very meaningful benefits to patients, but yet it has no real effect on FEV1. So functional tests are very important in reflecting the global impact of the disease on the physical ability to perform physical activities. 
And so um, it's also well observed that functional impairment is a common end pathway for the impairment in different organs or physiological systems. And currently, we have some very well-established exercise tests, uh, such as cyclogometry and treadmill walking and field walking tests. And these have consistently been shown to be independent predictors of prognosis. Uh, as an example, the, the best-known prognostic index in CAPD is the Bode index, and that incorporates the six-minute walk test as one of its components. So although these tests are very reliable and valid uh, and responsive to intervention, they are not always possible or feasible in some settings. For example, six-minute walk test needs uh, at least a 30-meter course, uh, cardiopulmonary exercise testing might need expensive equipment and, and, and highly skilled operators. Uh, the incremental shuttle walk needs two tests separated by at least 30 minutes. So these tests, although uh, uh, are, which are very uh, excellent and, uh, and reliable and valid, are not always feasible in some settings, uh, for example, in the, in the home setting or in the acute hospital setting or perhaps in a busy clinic setting. Um, we uh, developed an interest in simple physical performance measures um, about four or five years ago, not as a replacement for uh, exercise tests, but more as a way of giving us an idea of that, that patient's uh, normal day-to-day -day functioning um, that could be used in a variety of different settings. Um, and uh, we've spent the last few years trying to validate these tests in, in CAPD and to see whether they might have a role either as an outcome measure in uh, select settings or as a way of sim uh, uh, or as a simple way of uh, stratifying patients with uh, CAPD. Um, so this is a, an area of interest and um, and we've published widely, uh, on this area uh, over the last few years. And we found these measures to um, uh, give additional value uh, to uh, commonly used markers such as FEV1. Okay, that's really helpful. And um, you've already highlighted that your team have uh, spent some time really evaluating several of these simple physical performance measures in people with COPD. If we can just focus on the four meter gait speed um, to begin with and maybe just discuss um, its measurement properties, such as is it valid and reliable? What, what have you found? Uh, thank you. Um, uh, Dr. Kohn from our group uh, published a paper in the European Respiratory Journal in 2013, which looked at the four-meter gait speed in a large cohort of uh, nearly 600 outpatients with COPD. She demonstrated that the test had uh, excellent test, retest, uh, and uh, inter-observer reliability. Uh, she also demonstrated strong correlations between the 4-meter gait speed and the incremental shuttle walk with a row of 0.78 and uh, moderate uh, negative correlations with the MR dyspnea score and health-related quality of life as measured by the St. George's Respiratory Questionnaire. Uh, in a separate cohort of uh, patients with chronic respiratory disease, uh, Depew published a paper in Respiratory Care that demonstrated a strong correlation between the 4-meter gait speed and 6-minute walk distance.
There is existing uh, data um, across independent cohorts demonstrating a strong correlation between the four-meter gait speed and uh, field walking tests and moderate correlations with uh, other uh, outcomes of interest, including health-related quality of life and dyspnea. Uh, thank you. Um, as I mentioned, the uh, data from the uh, uh, paper I mentioned by Dr. Conn from the European Respiratory Journal um, looked at the uh, test retest and inter-observer reliability of the four-meter gait speed, and she found intra-class correlation coefficients of uh, 0.97 and 0.99, respectively. And these are in line with the published uh, literature in other populations, such as community-dwelling older patients. In CEPD, um, this data was also corroborated by a paper from Dr. Cartman and colleagues, uh, which was published in Respiratory Care, uh, where the, the, the authors uh, actually compared using an automated laser gate uh, against a person with a stopwatch and found equivalent levels of uh, reliability uh, over uh, a four-meter distance. So the existing data suggests that the um, the measure is, is is reliable and reproducible. That's interesting and helpful um, to know. Um, it's also been the gate speed's been measured over different distances um, in the literature, um, and also with different types of starting, whether with a rolling start or with a static start. Does that make any difference to its properties? Uh, thank you. Um, in uh, the gerontology literature, there are gate speed studies ranging from distances of two feet or, uh, up to two, uh, up to ten meters. Uh, but four meters is the uh, is the most widely described test. Um, our choice of the four meter gate speed with a static start was really a pragmatic one. Um, it's the best described in the gerontology literature. Um, there is an established protocol published by the National Institute on Aging. Uh, previous epidemiological studies have shown that an unobstructed four-meter course can be found in 95% of homes in, in the U.S. And so we, at, at the time of doing, choosing the uh, performance measure that we wanted to uh, validate, we were very conscious that we might want to use it in the uh, home setting. Uh, with rolling starts, uh, one has to incorporate uh, two meters at the beginning of the course and two meters at the end. So what seems like a four-meter gate speed suddenly becomes a, an eight-meter course, uh, and that obviously becomes less feasible in uh, certain settings. Uh, in the study I mentioned previously by Dr. Cartman, um, he uh, compared not only uh, uh, laser gates with stopwatch, but also looked at the psychometric properties of a four meter and a ten meter walk uh, and found very sort of similar uh, psychometric properties and This is in line with the literature in non CAPD populations um, so I think um, four meters is the is, is a balance between um, uh, a test that has been shown to be widely reliable in the uh, literature, but a uh, course that's short enough that makes it practical and feasible in uh, most uh, settings.
also understand that in older people, um, rather than the usual gait speed, the fast gait speed has also been um, used, and this has been shown to be associated with um, mortality. So does it matter um, for people with COPD whether we use the usual or normal walking speed or a fast walking speed? Thank you. Um, you're absolutely correct. Um, there are um, many studies that have looked both at usual walking speed and fast gait speed, and 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 both have been shown to be uh, prognostic. Uh, however, the best uh, data and evidence comes from uh, a pooled analysis of nine large cohort studies um, incorporating uh, over 34,000 uh, older community-dwelling people that was uh, described by Dr. Studensky and colleagues and published in uh, JAMA in 2011. And in all of the uh, cohort studies, uh, people were asked to walk at their usual speed and not their uh, fastest speed. Uh, and this uh, pooled analysis showed that uh, gait speed was uh, independently associated with survival in uh, older people. I think it's important to stress that the four-meter gait speed is not a maximal exercise test and is not supposed to be a replacement for other well-established measures of exercise capacity, such as field walking tests or cardiopulmonary exercise testing. However, the test does show strong correlations with field walking tests, which provides some uh, validity uh, to the test. Um, but yes, uh, one can measure both the normal walking speed and the fast gait speed, um, and, and both seem to show um, equal prognostic value. However, there is more literature for the uh, usual uh, gait speed. It's also important to remember that in the population of COPD patients where this test might be most helpful, um, the usual walking speed may well be very close to their uh, fast walking speed. So your group have also looked at the sit to stand test. So what circumstances might you use this test um, rather than the gait speed? Are there somewhere it would be more suitable? Uh, thank you. Um, the um, four beta gait speed uh, has a ceiling effect. Uh, in other words, it is not very discriminating in better functioning patients. Uh, and just to reiterate, I, I, I don't think the four-meter gait speed is a, is a measure of exercise capacity, and it's not meant to be a replacement of other measures of exercise capacity. Um, however, it seems to be a much better test in poorly functioning patients. Uh, one, because it does not have much of a floor effect, uh, and uh, two, the walking test is, 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 is the walking is a very familiar activity for 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 patients. On the other hand, the the, the five repetition sit to stand test has a, a large floor effect, so a significant number of stable outpatients with CAPD cannot complete the test. So it's not really a very good outcome measure in poorly functioning people. However it doesn't really have any significant ceiling effect. So it seems to remain responsive to improvement, even in well-functioning people. So I think the four-meter gait speed has more value as a, an outcome measure in poorly functioning patients 
and five repetitions sit to stand is better as an outcome measure in better functioning tests. Both, however, are very good at stratifying patients, which is where I think the uh, principal value of these tests. Um, both the uh, paper I mentioned by uh, Dr. Kohn in the European Respiratory Journal uh, and a paper published by uh, Sarah Jones uh, in Thorax, which looked at the five repetitions it stand, um, characterized their patient cohorts uh, according to slow gait speed or normal gait speed and according to whether uh, people could perform the five repetitions it stand or not. And uh, both uh, papers found that um, they, they could easily distinguish people with poor exercise capacity and uh, uh, poor health-related quality of life and um, lower limb uh, muscle dysfunction despite similar FEV1. So I think these tests are, are very good at stratifying patients. Uh, if they're to be used as outcome measures, I think the 4-meter gait speed is better for poorly functioning patients and the 5-repetition sit-to-stand is better for better functioning uh, people. Many thanks for that um, helpful comparison. So in older people, these physical performance measures have been shown to predict poor prognosis, such as death, hospitalizations, and nursing home admission. So is there evidence of them being used in that way in people with COPD? Uh, yes, the, the, the evidence is uh, growing. Um, there uh, was a paper published in the European Respiratory Journal uh, from uh, Dr. Puhan's uh, team, which looked at the relationship between number of uh, sit-stands performed in one minute um, and um, uh, and uh, prognosis, and found a clear relationship between uh, the performance on the sit-to-stand and mortality. Uh, Dr. Kohn uh, recently published a paper on the four-meter gait speed uh, in thorax which measured uh, the 4-meter gait speed in patients hospitalized with an acute exacerbation of COPD and demonstrated that 4-meter gait speed on the day of hospital discharge was an uh, independent uh, predictor of uh, hospital readmission at 90 days uh, in uh, older patients. So gait speed is used um, quite a lot in the medicine for the elderly literature on syndromes such as sarcopenia and frailty. Do you think that also might be relevant in COPD? Uh, thank you. There, there has, seems to be been a step change in the way that sarcopenia is defined. Um, in the past, uh, sarcopenia has been very much thought as uh, a loss in uh, muscle mass related to uh, aging. Um, but uh, more recent international consensus definitions of sarcopenia have um, included uh, either reduction in muscle strength or muscle weakness or reduction in uh, muscle performance as well as uh, loss in uh, muscle mass um, as part of the definitions for uh, sarcopenia. And um, the gait speed is, is commonly used as their measure of uh, poor muscle uh, performance 
and the hand grip uh, is often used as a as a measure of um, you know muscle strength and so these two measures have been incorporated in many of the international consensus definitions of uh, sarcopenia. Uh, we did explore this in more detail in um, a paper by uh, Sarah Jones that looked at um, uh, 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 the most commonly used international uh, consensus, com uh, consensus definition of sarcopenia, uh, the, the uh, European Working Group on Sarcopenia in Older People and use that definition to determine the prevalence of sarcopenia in uh, COPD. Uh, in a cohort of 622 outpatients with stable COPD, the prevalence of sarcopenia was found to be um, about 15%. And this prevalence increased with age and uh, worsening uh, gold spirometric stage. Um, Patients with sarcopenia had uh, significantly reduced exercise capacity, uh, physical performance measures, uh, physical activity, and um, health-related quality of life. Uh, but fortunately, they seem to respond very similarly with uh, pulmonary rehabilitation. And a proportion of the patients who were initially classified as sar sarcopenic uh, became were no longer sarcopenic uh, following pulmonary rehabilitation. Uh, frailty is uh, is another syndrome that's commonly described in uh, in gerontology, and uh, this uh, describes a clinical syndrome that is characterised by multi-system decline that leads to um, uh, reduced functional reserve and a sort of increased vulnerability to dependency or, or adverse events following sort of relatively minor uh, stressor events. Um, and the most uh, common uh, def operational definition of frailty uh, is the freed uh, frailty criteria. Um, and this uh, comprises five components, weakness, weight loss, reduced physical activity, fatigue, and uh, slowness. And they use the four meter, uh, and they use the four meter gate speed as their definition of uh, slowness. Uh, this definition was uh, used in a, a recent uh, paper um, published in the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Medicine, which uh, looked at the frailty uh, phenotype in a uh, cohort of. Uh, patients who uh, were on the lung transplant uh, waiting list. And what they demonstrated was that um, uh, uh, frailty um, was associated with uh, increased risk of delisting from the uh, transplant list and uh, death before lung transplantation. Uh, and this was in a, a patient, uh, this was in patients with severe chronic uh, respiratory disease, the, the, the majority of which had COPD. So I think that we will find that uh, increasingly people will be interested in looking at uh, the sarcopenia and frailty phenotypes in patients with COPD. And obviously simple uh, lower limb physical performance measures such as uh, four meter gait speed are integral in, uh, to the definitions of these uh, phenotypes.
that's been a really helpful um, overview, and I suppose it, it just leads to the question, really, do you think we should be measuring the four-meter gait speed in, in clinical practice for all our patients with COPD? Uh, I, well, I think so, absolutely, but I'm a, a little biased on, on this area. Um, but I do think it gives us some additional information to uh, FEV1. Uh, as an example, we, we, we often see patients in, in clinic, we measure the FEV1, we'll ask some simple questions about you know, their you know, progress and their symptoms, but we very rarely get them up and, and, and ask them to do a functional test. And I think doing those functional tests gives us a whole wealth of information, um, not only about their, uh, their physical performance level, but uh, perhaps about their balance and their gait and uh, their, their safety in walking. So, I, so I'm a very big um, supporter of, of doing uh, some sort of functional test that gives us additional information. Um, and, and because these tests are very cheap, they're very simple, uh, they're extremely uh, feasible and practical, uh, you don't need any particular skill as an operator, uh, I think the additional information is, is, uh, is much bigger than the cost of having to, to, to introduce this in, into clinical practice. And certainly I have done that in the uh, clinical setting, and I believe others, perhaps even at your institution, have, uh, have started using it in, in their sort of CAPD clinics. So I, I think it just does give us a little bit of additional information. Uh, it's very useful in stratifying patients. Um, it gives us a, 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 an understanding of when we might need to order more complicated uh, physiological tests. Um, so I think it's got a lot of value from, from that point of view. Uh, and I think, understand, I think in other settings, like the acute hospital setting, I, I talked about a study where the gate speed was, was measured on the day of discharge. Um, that's not really anything new. I mean, physiotherapists and occupational therapists often get patients up during their hospital admission. They just don't time the speed of their walking. Uh, but that additional information um, can give us a real idea of patients' risk of being readmitted. So I, I think understanding uh, this information is really important. Walking speed is also pretty important in all walks of life, um, sort of excuse the pun, but as an example, um, in the UK, pedestrian crossings are, are set so that you have to have a walking speed equal or greater than, than, than 1.2 metres per second to be able to get across a pedestrian crossing safely. Uh, when we've looked at it in uh, our, our outpatient COPD population, only 10% of my patients can walk at a speed of 1.2 meters per second. In fact, in order for 95% of my patients to safely negotiate a pedestrian crossing, um, the, the government would probably have to uh, set all the traffic lights to assume a walking speed of about 0.5 meters per second, which will mean that traffic lights will probably have to stay red for two and a half times longer than current times. Of course, this is never going to happen, but it does make you wonder why patients with COPD uh, become housebound or start using mobility scooters when we're desperately trying to increase their walking and physical activity. So when something as simple as a pedestrian crossing 
um, which is supposed to be a zone of safety for pedestrians, doesn't cater for about 90% of my, of my patients. We, we do have a, a really relevant public health problem. So I now uh, routinely um, uh, counsel patients with, uh, with their normal walking speed uh, and tell them that actually they do have to walk a bit faster when they're trying to cross a pedestrian crossing in the UK. And I suspect that pedestrian crossings are, 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 are similarly set uh, across the world. Um, so even information as simple as that can make a substantial difference to uh, a patients' uh, normal uh, activities of daily living and um, can determine whether a simple thing is whether they walk to the shops or, 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 or avoid doing so. Well, that's fascinating, uh, Will, particularly the public health issue. I've never really thought, actually, about how long it takes to cross a pedestrian crossing. And as you were saying, um, a simple thing that perhaps we should be, um, you know, helping our our patients understand. Um, I think perhaps we should be starting a campaign to try and lengthen that. well, I suppose that just leaves me to to really thank you for such a very, very um, insightful uh, discussion about these um, measures. And certainly I'm going to go away and think about where we should be using them um, in our uh, local practice. So thank you very much, uh, Will. Um, I know you're an incredibly busy uh, clinician as research and researcher, uh, so we're very grateful uh, for your uh, time this afternoon. Thank you. An absolute pleasure, Rachel. Uh, Goodbye and many thanks.